0: Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith. We're on episode 163, The Dangers of Inconsistent Boundaries. Woo! Oh my, this is something that uh, is definitely a, I'm trying to figure out how best to say it, a point of contention with me. I have some people around me who have this particular problem where you do not know how they are going to deal with situations, even ones that are similar, and I'm a very boundary-driven person, so maybe it causes me more angst than it does most, but I kind of have a feeling that this is something that causes a lot of us difficulties. I mean, how do you have an intimate relationship with someone who you never know how they are going to react and or respond? You're, you're just not sure. In one situation, you see them and they are very careful and they have a very strong boundary. And the next thing you know, a very similar situation comes up and it's like they're a different person. I remember many years ago, I was dealing with someone and I initially thought that they were a person with good boundaries. And it did not take me long to figure out that they truly didn't have a clue where to set boundaries. Now, one of the things that made this particular story even sadder was because this person had been sexually abused as a child. And one of the things in doing boundary work all these years that I have realized is that when someone has had the physical boundary that is supposed to protect you, that being your skin, when you've had that violated, it makes trying to figure out where the lines are difficult throughout life. That's one of the reasons therapy can be so very helpful for those who have struggled with sexual abuse, um, sex trafficked is to have somebody to help them figure out where the lines are. The same thing can happen with children of alcoholics but it can happen to any of us. Depending on how your growing up years worked out? How consistent those in authority were around you or how inconsistent they were? We talked last week about David. That being King David of Israel who has already been named the King of Judah and then he is about to be Propelled to be the next king of Israel. But I just, these two stories happening back to back just made it so clear what direction we needed to take for this particular lesson. So we're in 2 Samuel 4, 1 through 12, and I'm going to read the text, and then I am going to take you back to two other incidences in the life of David that, in Scripture at least, they are close together. In David's life, two of them are close together, and the other one may have happened a few years before, but is still in this time of him being the king of Judah or about to be the king of Judah. So let's go into second Samuel four and let's read this short text. And so let's set the stage. So Saul was the first king of Israel, not God's chosen one, but Israel's chosen one. Number one, God was their king and they, they wanted an earthly king. They, they thought the grass was greener. They wanted Somebody like the other nations. And so they chose Saul. Saul was killed in battle along with three of his sons, including Jonathan, David's best friend. But one of Saul's sons had lived, and his name was Ishbosheth. And if I have to say that too many times, I'm not sure what's going to come out. Um, But Ishbosheth, whenever King Saul died, Abner, who we talked about last week, who was killed, Abner, who was the commander of Saul's army, Abner backed Ishbosheth to be the king of the northern territories of Israel, while David was going to be the ruler over Judah. And so we haven't heard a lot about Ishbosheth. We did hear about a conflict between him and Abner, where you can tell that Abner is the one who hold, who held the power, but now Abner has died. And so now we've got in verse 4-1, it's when Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard about Abner's death at Hebron, he lost all courage and all Israel became paralyzed with fear. Well, honestly, this is not a surprising development because Ishbosheth was not really kingly material. He did not come to the throne because he was going to be a good ruler. He came to the throne because he had the backing of Abner. Abner was not king, but Abner was the one who had the control. And when Ishbosheth finds out that his wind beneath his wings, so to speak, has been killed, what little courage he had is gone. It says now there were two brothers, Bana and Rechab, who were captains of Ishbosheth's raiding parties. They were sons of Rimah a member of the tribe of Benjamin who lived in Beroth. The town of Beroth is now part of Benjamin's territory because the original people of Beroth fled to Gideon where they still live as foreigners. Verse four, Saul's son, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Now we're not going into Mephibosheth today. He is mentioned. It's literally in parentheses in the NLT It's because it's, it's just kind of like this little dropping of information that you don't really need for now, but it will come up again, definitely. So Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled, but as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. One day, Rika and Baina the sons of Rimon from Beroth went to Ishbosheth's house around noon as he was taking his midday rest. The doorkeeper, who had been sifting wheat, became drowsy and fell asleep. So Rechab and Bana slipped faster. They went into the house and found Ishbosheth sleeping on his bed. They struck him and killed him and cut off his head. Then taking his head with them, yes I did really say that, then taking his head with them, they fled across the Jordan Valley through the night. When they arrived at Hebron, they presented Ishbosheth's head to David. Look, they exclaimed to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of your enemy Saul, who tried to kill you. Today, the Lord has given my Lord, the king, revenge on Saul and his entire family. So you can tell that they think that because they have killed what they assume to be David's rival, that David is going to be pleased. This should remind you of a story we'd read not too long ago, and I'm going to read a clip of it here in a few minutes. But they totally misjudged David and what is important to David. They think that Saul was David's worst enemy, and if they can take out Saul's son, then David's going to be pleased. Verse 9, But David said to Rechab and Banah, The Lord who saves me from all my enemies is my witness. Someone once told me Saul is dead, thinking he was bringing me good news. But I seized him and killed him at Ziklag. That's the reward I gave him for his news. How much more should I reward evil men who have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed? Shouldn't I hold you responsible for his blood and rid the earth of you? So David ordered his young men to kill them, and they did. They cut off their hands and feet and hung their bodies beside the pool in Hebron. Then they took Hishbosheth's head and buried it in Abner's tomb in Hebron. (coughs) Excuse me. This is not a good bedtime story by any stretch of the imagination. But this was kind of the norm for how things went at that time. David was in a leadership position, and David was not pleased with these two young men for murdering an innocent ish And what did he do? He had his young men kill them. In other words, it was immediate retribution, discipline, however you want to look at it. And he refers back to another incident in his life, and that incident happened in 2 Samuel 1 where david finds out he david is told that saul jonathan and two of saul's other sons were killed and this young man comes to tell david the news and i think the name of the podcast where we talked about that is something to do with are you good at reading the room because this guy, just like these two, thought that it would be a good idea and David would be so pleased for him to tell, for him to, number one, have killed King Saul and, number two, to tell David about it. He thought he was going to win this big prize and, or he was going to get leadership in David's kingdom. And so in 2 Samuel 1, 13 through 16, it says, Then David said to the young man who had brought the news, Where are you from? And he replied, I'm a foreigner, an Amalekite who lives in your land. Why were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one? David asked. Then David said to one of his men, kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. You have condemned yourself, David said, for you yourself confessed that you killed the Lord's anointed one. And we talked about when we were in that particular lesson, we talked about the fact that the ironic twist of this is that the guy really didn't kill Saul. Saul killed himself because Saul was wounded and Saul refused to be killed by the enemy. So he killed himself, but this guy wanted to take credit for it, thinking that this was going to get him. This big promotion was going to make him look good in David's eyes. So we see these two particular incidences in the life of David. And what do we see? We see David sees a crime that has committed. And how does David respond in both of those situations? What does he do? He immediately brings about swift discipline of those who committed the crime. And if you just had those two to look at, you would think that David was somebody who had consistent boundaries and that you might be able to be around him and be able to work with him. But the thing is, that's not the case. So I hope that everyone was with us last week. But if not, we're going to kind of give you a little refresher course. So last week, we talked about Abner, again, commander of the Army of the North. Abner had killed Asahel, which was one of David's nephews. The Asahel had come after Abner and Abner and killed him in self-defense. And then Joab, who was also one of David's nephews and a leader in David's military, Joab killed Abner as revenge. I mean, there's not even a question as to how it happened. In uh, 2 Samuel 3, verse 30, it says, So Joab and his brother Abishai killed Abner because Abner had killed their brother Asahel at the Battle of Gibeon. So when you see that, what do you think that David is going to do? Looking at the other two incidences that we've just been privy to, what do you think David's going to do? You think he's going to turn around and he's going to, at the least, strongly reprimand Joab and Abishai and make them pay for their crime and, at the most, kill them or have his young men kill them. But that's not what happens. As we saw last week, he does this funeral march for Abner. He tells Joab and everyone else to... To tear their clothes and put on burlap and you can tell that david believes that joab killed abner in cold blood like he speaks it but how does david handle this situation totally different than in the other two incidences Let's start with verse 38. Then King David said to his officials, don't you realize that a great commander has fallen today in Israel? Verse 39. And even though I am the anointed king, these two sons of Zeruiah, Joab and Abishai, are too strong for me to control. So may the Lord repay the these evil men for these evil deeds. And in the ESV, it says that they are more severe than I. It's not that David doesn't have the power we talked last week about the whole idea of letting the lord repay and there when someone has wronged us we are not to take revenge but that's not what this situation is about this is about david being in a position of authority and knowing that a crime was committed And instead of acting as he did in the other two incidences where he immediately pronounces judgment and the young men are killed, instead in this, he just turns a blind eye. And I just, I can't imagine being those that are looking on. And you're watching David and you don't know how he's going to respond. I mean, these are very serious incidences. And in two of the cases, he he is very strong with his boundaries. And in this one, it's a joke. And we know that when we work our way through David and his family life, that his interactions are more like this. Could it be that the reason he didn't kill Joab and Abishai or at least discipline them strongly is because they were his blood kin as opposed to the other two people. It's definitely possible that he just decided to keep it in the family. I I got that. But when you are a leader, you need to be consistent Now, if you make a choice and you decide that's the wrong move, I shouldn't have done it that way, and you choose a different way, that's not inconsistent boundaries. That's using wisdom and learning from situations. But we see David here where he's got strong boundaries and then he has laughable boundaries, like no boundaries. And we're going to see that he does this with his own children We're going to see what kind of difficulty that he stirs up in the family because of this. And I want us to learn. I want us to learn. I want you to ask the Lord to reveal to you if you are one with inconsistent boundaries. You probably, well, you might know it, but it's possible that you are blinded to this weakness in yourself you may have automatically thought of other people around you. It may be your boss. It may be a friend. Where you do not know from one situation to the next how they are going to either react or respond. But you can't control them. You can control how you respond to them. But how about you? Because as ambassadors for Christ, I mean, you don't see Jesus with wiggly boundaries. You see him always standing for the truth. Does he stand in different ways in different situations? Yes, he does. Sometimes he stands for the truth and he does it in a kind voice because he's speaking to someone who's been hurt many, many times and he still speaks truth about their sin, but he speaks it with kindness. And then There are times when he's speaking to the religious leaders, which is where I was reading in the Gospel of Luke. And well, he doesn't speak with kindness in those situations. He just flat tells them where they've gone wrong. But he's still consistent. He is always, always, always siding on the side of truth. How about you? If I were to follow you around with a video camera, And to watch your interactions for the next seven days. What do you think I would see? Would I see you consistent? Not perfect. But consistent in your boundaries and how you deal with people. And deal with challenging situations. And deal with situations where people have made bad choices. Either intentionally or for lack of knowledge. Would I see consistency in you? The world needs conce- needs to see consistency in Christ followers. They cannot see Jesus Christ in the flesh at this particular time in history. So they look to us. They look to us who carry the Holy Spirit in ourselves. And they look to us to see... What Christ looks like. How Christ would act. Are they seeing a consistent representation of Christ? Or do you look like the wind tossed to and fro? And if they were to follow your example, literally only God would know where they would end up. So as we close out this week... May we learn from the example or the lack of example of David and and ask God to reveal. Do we have inconsistent boundaries? Are they consistent with most everybody, but with a certain person or a certain group of persons, we throw boundaries out the window? Like, ask God the hard questions. Ask him to reveal to you where you need to work on these issues and ask him to show you how. Because he will. Because he wants you healthy. The healthier you are and the healthier your boundaries are, the healthier your relationships can be. And the healthier you are, the more God can use you to change the world. If you are spending your entire day struggling with boundary issues, you aren't sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. You are living your day, chasing your tail, not getting anywhere for the kingdom of God. It's time. It's time to deal with the boundaries. It's time to deal with the relationships. It's time to deal with your own issues. God knows why you make the choices you do. You may or you may not. You may not understand why you struggle to say no to whoever it is or say yes to anyone. Ask God to show you. The book of Psalms says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Many times boundary issues If you trace them back, they're because of broken hearts. Ask God. Ask God to show you. Ask God to heal you. Ask God to make you whole so that you can be a good, godly representative of Jesus Christ in this world that so desperately needs to see a consistent witness for him. Thank you so very much for tuning in. We've got information down below in the show notes, got some of the verses, got uh, some resources. Uh, we also have the link to our Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus Facebook group. If you have any questions, you can reach out to me. Email address is Jesus at gmail.com. Our hidden episodes, the first, I guess it's about 50 uh, that were entitled um, something different. It was entitled A Country Girl in the City World Loving Jesus. You can find the link to those in the show notes below. And I would just love to hear from you. Tell me what God is doing in your life. Send me a prayer request. Send me a praise report. I would love to know how God is working in your life. And as we close out this week, don't forget to share this podcast with others. I know you have people who need to hear this word. And just remember, it's always a trust and obey kind of day.